I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, September 14th, 2022, the 602nd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber to I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. You'll be supporting me and the work I do and this show as it expands. And if you can't do that or you simply don't want to, just wait a couple days and you'll get things for free. And that's all good. That's why I set it up this way. But do me a favor and share the show. So today, The Lincoln Project released a glossy new ad. They sent it in emails around to all of their communist followers. And in the ad, they paint Trump supporters as dupes and rubes who are throwing away all their money as a result of believing con man Donald Trump and his big lie about the election. And we'll get to the ad in just a second, but I wanted to make sure we're all on the same page about what the Lincoln Project is. They launched in late 2019, and their purpose was 
to gather all of these very principled lifelong conservatives who just couldn't deal based on all of their principles with having Donald Trump and the MAGA movement being a force in American politics. They were the good ones. According to liberals and the mainstream press, you know, normal child-brained communists who would do something as stupid as vote for Joe Biden, believing that they were saving democracy by upholding a man who steals elections. They were solving racism by voting for a man who was mentored in politics for decades by a Klan leader, and that they were putting the adults back in the room by voting for an ancient demented politician whose career in politics was marked by his extensive record of corruption in selling out the interests of his constituents first to corporations in Delaware and then to adversarial nations around the world. And for a certain demographic of voters, generally college-educated clueless about virtually everything, completely detached from reality, very committed to their own narcissistic pursuit of wealth and status and power, and determined to prove that their political opponents weren't just wrong about issues or about their philosophy of government. They were actually terrible, stupid racists who must be destroyed. And they were a big hit with those types of people. Their ads are very glossy. They look like they were made by ad industry professionals. And their goal was always to make the viewer feel that they were morally and intellectually superior to the no-no people saying the no-no things. And here's a little more background. And because I want to be absolutely right about everything I claim regarding the Lincoln Project, I went straight to a fact checker, factcheck.org, to get the information. So now nothing I say can be fact checked because I'm reading you the fact check. Board members include John Weaver, who worked on the presidential campaigns of President George H.W. Bush, Senator John McCain, and former Ohio Governor John Kasich and Steve Schmidt, who worked on the presidential campaigns of McCain and President George W. Bush, as well as Arnold Schwarzenegger's successful 2006 campaign for governor of California. Other members include former chairman of the New Hampshire Republican Party, Jennifer Horn, former Republican marketing strategist and political consultant, Ron Steslow, and lawyer George Conway, a notorious Trump critic who is the husband of Kellyanne Conway the current White House counselor to the president. As a super PAC, the group can accept unlimited contributions, but it must disclose its donors and cannot coordinate with campaigns on its independent expenditures. And this is from 2020, by the way. Just want to be clear as I'm reading this next part. As of September 30th, the Lincoln Project had raised nearly $60 million and it had spent roughly $37 million on independent expenditures. The majority of the super PAC spending has been on advertisement campaigns against the reelection of Trump. 
Some of the ads recently launched by the group have targeted the president's response to protests for racial justice, the coronavirus pandemic, his foreign policy decisions regarding China and his position on the Confederate flag. And keep that last part in mind. But these positions are all the Democrat positions on each and every issue. It's very important to understand that because, as everybody knows, the most principled thing you can do as a conservative is support Democrat positions on each and every issue and then also endorse and support Democrat candidates. That's what it means to be a true conservative, to be an intellectual conservative in the establishment. That's why these people are so popular and they hold so much power in the Republican Party. It's because they do the true conservative things, supporting Democrat issues and Democrat candidates. That's what it means to have principles. That's what it is to be one of the good ones. But let's listen to their latest ad. But before we do, I just want to make sure you know this ad is called Sucker. And the subheadline is the MAGA faithful are right. There was real fraud during the 2020 election. Of course, it wasn't voting fraud. Watch our latest ad and find out who was the real sucker. And then it's really cute. Right below the ad, they have a link to their PayPal. Dear MAGA, we have some bad news. No, not that he lost. Not that your little coup attempt failed and its planners and the attackers are going to jail. No, the really bad news is why Trump told you he lost. Why he set it up way before the 2020 election. It wasn't voter fraud, but it was fraud. Trump told you the election was stolen to rip you off to sucker you, to take your hard-earned money and shovel it into his pockets. He spent it on himself, not to take back the White House. It was the biggest scam in political history. Every dollar you sent him paid to keep his shaky business empire and lavish lifestyle going. It was a sucker's game all along. And you know who the sucker is? It's you. Now, I've got to say, my feelings are really hurt by this. I can't believe what I just had to watch. This entire time, I've done all of this just to give Donald Trump my money and enrich him? What a sucker I have been. What an effective ad. My feelings are hurt and I'm a little bit angry and I'm probably just going to go out and do all of the things MAGA is accused of because I'm so mad at this Lincoln Project ad. Ooh, it really gets under my skin. <laughs> I love stuff like this. I love it so much. <laughs> so apparently... The child brains in the Lincoln Project's audience are going to eat this up. And of course they will, because they're part of a hate movement. And when you're in a hate movement, you want to figure out more ways and more justifications to express your hatred. And so they will believe this. They will actually believe 
that all of the Trump supporters out there are getting suckered because Donald Trump does political fundraising, apparently. And apparently he does political fundraising so well that he has more cash on hand than the RNC and the DNC. And the communists are having a very big problem with that. But really, the Lincoln Project is just looking out for us. I mean, sure, at other times, we are racists and sexists and misogynists and homophobes and Islamophobes and transphobes. We are domestic terrorists. We are threats to democracy. We are white supremacists hell bent on a civil war. We told the big lie. We tried to stage our little coup that failed. But now they're looking out for us. Now they have taken pity on us. They can see how much we are being hurt by our own choices to donate or not donate and just support the movement in other ways. And they just don't want to see us get hurt. Not for another two months with an election coming up, even though we've been hurt for the last seven years by Donald Trump. Now they're saying, here is our olive branch we are extending to you. We're looking out for you. You're being suckered by this con man who always lies to you, even though we can't really prove how any of them are lies. And it's our side that invented the Russian collusion hoax and all the other nonsense. You're being suckered. It's not the people who watch MSNBC and CNN and send their friends Lincoln Project ads. No, it's those people involving themselves in the biggest and most powerful political movement that the United States has ever seen. That's who's getting suckered. And everyone knows it. And of course we are. Donald Trump is the most talented con man of all time. It just doesn't work on them and the people like them and the people better than them. Of course not. Donald Trump has no power over them. I mean, sure, they are obsessed with Donald Trump and his supporters and spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week for years and years and years and years and years thinking about that. But he has absolutely no power over them. His con just doesn't work on them. They are too serious, too discerning, and far too intelligent to ever fall for Donald Trump's con. But they believed in the Russian collusion hoax, and they wore two masks, and they encouraged lockdowns, and they encouraged your kids to wear masks. And they encourage school closures and they put up little pieces of plastic between tables in the restaurants because that was going to solve the very deadly pandemic. But these people are too smart, too serious, too discerning to ever fall for Donald Trump's con. I mean, sure. They said the walls were closing in a thousand times during the Mueller investigation. They touted Stormy Daniels as a hero for women and her attorney, Michael Avenatti, as a potential 2020 presidential candidate who surely could take down Donald Trump once and for all. They totally bought into the lie that Donald Trump called 
neo-Nazis and white supremacists, very fine people, even though it's on video in context that he didn't do that at all. But these people would never fall for Donald Trump's con. Too intellectual, too serious, too discerning. It would never happen. And sure, they believed in the Ukraine impeachment hoax. They believed Adam Schiff when he invented a transcript of a phone call whose transcript later came out and showed Adam Schiff to be lying. They believed the walls were closing in every day with the Ukraine hoax. That was actually really about the investigation over Joe Biden's corruption in Ukraine. But they would never fall for anyone who says that they're not conspiracy theorists. And that's part of the con. They believed that little black squares on Instagram would solve racism and that racism was a bigger public health threat than the coronavirus. So going out and rioting for five straight months had no effect on the pandemic whatsoever and was actually really good because that's what it takes to usher in racial justice, just violence. They have to attack federal courthouses in order to bring in racial justice. They have to loot stores and steal all of the merchandise on behalf of racial justice. They have to beat and murder policemen on behalf of racial justice. They have to defund the police. They need to imprison their political opponents and censor everyone because of disinformation. But these people are far too intelligent, far too discerning, and so morally perfect that they would never fall for Donald Trump's con. But they are obsessed with him, completely obsessed with him, paying attention to him all the time. And they believe that their hate of Donald Trump and his supporters rationalizes and justifies absolutely anything they could ever do. It's so important. But these people would never fall for Donald Trump's con. You see, that's us. We're the stupid ones. We fall for stuff like that all the time. That's why all of us were wearing two masks and we were the ones who refused to participate in the medical experiment. It's because we're so stupid. And you got to love how they employ the the mocking and condescending child voice. They are trying to talk to us like children and their audience will see that and be like, ha ha ha. They're talking down to those stupid Trump supporters, those suckers out there that are just giving him all their money based on the big lie. And he's just spending it on himself. They like the condescending child's voice because that's the voice in their own heads. That's the voice they hear inside their tiny little child brains rattling around in those fully adult sized skulls. And they love feeling better than everyone. But Donald Trump is taking his supporters money and he's spending it on himself. You know, I can't show you video on an audio podcast because that's not how it works. But when they were talking about that, they had a, a drone shot over Mar-a-Lago as if Trump took all his supporters money and bought Mar-a-Lago. 
It's been reported that Donald Trump lost between a billion and two billion dollars over the four years he was sitting as president. So where is the grift? A billion or two billion dollars? Are we meant to imagine that Donald Trump's supporters transferred that much of their own wealth to Donald Trump so he could line his pockets? Of course not. It's nothing close to that. So if that reporting is correct, Donald Trump's grand experiment in his ego inflation that surely must have happened while he's been attacked for seven straight years nonstop, all of that from him being president and surely the income would just roll on in. Oh, that Donald Trump is just profiting off his sucker supporters. Donald Trump turned down his salary as president. He sent that $400,000 a year to charities. So how grifty could he be? Joe Biden would literally compromise national security for $1.6 million. And I haven't heard anything about Joe Biden sending his presidential salary to charities. Why isn't Joe Biden doing that? He has an extensive, provable, documented history of corrupt dealings in nations around the world. And that's not a conspiracy. The evidence is all over his son's laptop. And that will be much more publicly available when Marco Polo releases their report, which is now 640 pages long. And it covers the history of the Biden political crime family in depth. Oh, there's a lot there. But that's who the Lincoln Project told people to vote for in 2020 as very principled conservatives. They put principle above everything. That's why they're the Lincoln Project. And you can trust the judgment of the Lincoln Project because they are so very principled and so very conservative, except for the fact that they're not at all. In fact, one of their founders, John Weaver, was accused of sexual predation of young men. And I'm sure there are many, many fact checks on that, but Here's what the Lincoln Project themselves said about it. The Lincoln Project believes the members of our movement and the victims of John Weaver's despicable and deceptive behavior are owed the facts and you will have them. John Weaver betrayed all of us and you deserve the facts presented independently through a transparent process. So that's one of their founders, a person they've known for years and years, but apparently just never had any idea about his sexual predilections and his propensity to be a sexual predator targeting young men. But don't worry, the Lincoln Project's donors are not suckers for giving their money away to people like this. This is from that same fact check article from 2020. So far, the Lincoln Project's largest individual donors are hedge fund manager Stephen F. Mandel Jr., who donated a million dollars, and Corellis Arturis, the founder of FSATC, an air traffic control flight simulation network, who donated $250,000. DreamWorks co-founder David Geffen, 
Bain Capital co-chairman Joshua Beckenstein, Wolverine Gas and Oil Corporation CEO Sidney Jansma Jr., and Continental Cablevision co-founder Amos Hostetter have each donated $100,000. But they're not suckers. They're fighting the good fight alongside these very, very principled conservatives. You're not a sucker if you have the right priorities for a principled conservative, which is to support Democrat positions on issues and Democrat candidates. And one of those issues, as I mentioned, was the president's response to protests for racial justice. The Lincoln Project is highly committed to racial justice, or at least they say they are. And we should probably give them the benefit of the doubt, right? I mean, yeah, they knowingly were working with a pedophile and never said a word until it came out and then said they were betrayed. But you can believe them about their commitment to racial justice. That's something they would simply never lie about. And if you don't believe me right now, you're a sucker. Only suckers would doubt the Lincoln Project, especially on issues of race. I mean, Rick Wilson, that bald guy in the glasses who yells a lot, that is one of the least racist people in the entire world. And that's why he has all that moral authority that he brings out when he's yelling about how dangerous and evil Trump supporters are. He swears on television, which makes him extremely controversial. That's how he proves how principled he is. He just can't take it anymore. So he starts swearing as if he has communist Tourette's. And hey, all good. I like a good swear every now and then. But I don't do it on television to create an air of conviction and moral authority while lying. You see, Rick Wilson, his wife posted a picture of a Confederate flag cooler on Instagram back in 2020. And on top of the cooler were the words, the South will rise again. But like John Weaver's penchant for young boys, this is something that no one in the Lincoln Project could have possibly known. I mean, it wasn't like Rick Wilson's wife's cooler was in Rick Wilson's house, like just sitting out in the garage. It's not like they grabbed it themselves and took it on the boat together. And it's not like Rick Wilson's wife posted a picture of this cooler on Instagram of her own accord. They would never do that. And no one would ever believe they would do that unless they're a sucker. Now, the geniuses at the Lincoln Project probably thought, probably talked about, they probably laughed and boasted to one another about how this ad was so effective because it really has two distinct but very powerful effects on two different audiences. Those MAGA people, when they see it, oh, they're going to have their feelings hurt. They'll feel confused and betrayed and defeated, and they might get a little mad and start doing MAGA things, and everyone's going to see them. We're going to expose all their MAGA evil by drawing it out of them with this extremely clever ad. But that's not how our people are going to take it. No, our people are going to know 
Oh, those stupid Trump supporters. They simply don't have the smarts to ever pose a threat to our grip on power. We're going to tell you all the new slogans and you're going to go out and repeat them. And they're going to be so effective. You're going to go to your little dinner party this weekend, Kami. And when a subject comes up at dinner, you can be like, ha, 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 those stupid Trump supporters, those suckers, they've given all their money away to that mean old Donald Trump who just goes and buys resorts that he already owned with it. Those stupid Trump supporters, they just still go around believing the big lie while they're giving all their money away to Donald Trump. Oh, they would have much better financial lives if they would stop giving their money to Donald Trump and just trust Joe Biden's very vibrant economy. Oh, those weak and stupid Trump supporters. They tried their little coup, but it failed. It failed. And now... Now, they're all going to jail. (laughs) Have they had trials? No, of course not. But it doesn't matter. Because they're guilty. Guilty. Guilty, I say. Those stupid and weak Trump supporters, they are guilty. Isn't that right, Trevor? Isn't that right, Bethany? Isn't that right, Todd? Those stupid Trump supporters. And oh, they'll feel so smart and so moral and so much like they are in the majority because they know that they are diehard communists down for the cause. Bring on the globalism. Bring on the transhumanism. Bring on the technocracy. Bring on the one world government. Oh, it's what's going to be the best for everyone. But it's not just the diehard communists that agree with them. Very principled, smart, intellectual, discerning conservatives are also with them. So they have their whole side and then all of the smart conservatives. And so that's got to make up like maybe 60% of the country. And so they just go on along because... You see, they're in a vast and powerful majority, and they can say all of these things in any environment they choose. And because no one ever chimes in to contest what they're saying, they assume that it's all true, and they're very smart, and they represent a majority, and all their positions represent majorities as well. I mean, we are talking about the most clueless detached and ignorant people, maybe in the history of mankind, but they're not suckers. They give their money to Lincoln Project, (laughs) not that grifter Donald Trump. Yes, all of those communists are so high and mighty and they are not suckers. I mean, sure, the Lincoln Project might be lying about their conservatism, And they might be covering for one of their founders being a pedophile. And they might also themselves be racists while pretending to fight for racial justice. But you're not a sucker for donating to them because they are so effective at winning. They help to defeat 
Donald Trump himself in 2020. That is their claim of success. I mean, sure, it was due to vast and overwhelming election fraud for which there is overwhelming evidence. But the Lincoln Project must have played some role. They're not losers. I mean, if they were losers, in addition to being racists and pedophiles, then the people sending them money and believing the things they said might be suckers, but they're not losers. And you can know that because of how effective their ads are. So if you go to their latest news page, you can see some of the headlines from their ads. Here's one. New Lincoln Project ad shows Mark Kelly has the right stuff. You get it? Because he's an astronaut. Or how about this one? The Lincoln Project shows Arizonans the reality of kooky Carrie Lake. Uh, except Carrie Lake won that race. DeSantis rallies with extremists Doug Mastriano and J.D. Vance. Oh, but Mastriano and Vance won their primaries, too. They loved Liz Cheney, but she lost. But either way, they're helping to save democracy and they defeated Donald Trump. And they're not actually losers and racists and pedophiles and liars, as all of their history shows. They're the good guys who are finally putting Donald Trump and those extremist MAGA Republicans in their place on behalf of our democracy and on behalf of principled conservatism, which requires you supporting Democrat positions on issues and Democrat candidates all the time. Very, very principled. But hey, I'm sure they must be right about something. They must be right at least about how toxic Donald Trump is for the Republican Party, of which they are, as principled conservatives, still very committed to. They want the establishment of the Republican Party to really make a comeback as they get rid of Donald Trump. And we're being told again and again and again how effective that effort is by very principled conservatives to rid the party of the MAGA movement. Although last night in New Hampshire, MAGA rolled up two more big wins. These are Donald Trump's statements in the aftermath of these victories. Congratulations to General Don Bolduc, a great gentleman who started his military service as a private and ended it as a general. And now his big win in New Hampshire. Wow. Great going, Don. He also said, Amazing job by Caroline Levitt in her great New Hampshire victory. Against all odds, she did it and will have an even greater victory on November 8th. Wonderful energy and wisdom. So more MAGA victories right in the face of the GOP establishment that supported their opponents. And I talked a bit yesterday about the narrative of this blue comeback, the end of the red wave. The red wave is going to turn into a red puddle. And the polls show that. Today, Guy Benson had a piece in Town Hall, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing. The headline is, Progressives Journalists Worry Are Polls Once Again Overestimating Democrats. And he was pointing out 
the difference between the polling averages leading up to the 2020 election and the actual outcomes. And for just a sampling of the sort of thing he went over, the final 10 public polls of the race averaged out to a lead of more than five percentage points for Susan Collins's Democratic challenger. Collins then won re-election by nearly nine percentage points. The polling average misfired by about 14 points. That's scandalously bad. The last six public polls in the South Carolina Senate race two years ago showed Lindsey Graham leading his opponent by less than two points on average. In late September, one poll showed an exact tie. Another showed Graham clinging to a one point lead. Graham won his race by more than 10 points. Similar patterns played out elsewhere. And you might remember how one of the polls in Wisconsin, I believe it was ABC News and Washington Post, had Joe Biden favored by 17 points in Wisconsin, a race that Donald Trump, quote unquote, lost by six tenths of a point, according to the reported results, but in actuality, won by hundreds of thousands of votes. But even assuming there was no election fraud, which is just a very stupid thing to believe, that was a 16 point difference right there. So when we see poll numbers for Joe Biden, like he's got 45 percent approval or like the Democrats who are afraid to debate in these states are just neck and neck with their Republican opponents. It's good to remember that these people are never right and they are wrong intentionally. And we can expect that effect to be even more profound in this 2022 midterm cycle. So let's get on some other news because there is some very big news in the last couple of days. First, let's go to just the news. New Durham bombshell. FBI paid Russian accused of lying as a confidential informant against Trump. And part of this we have known. We've known Igor Danchenko's role as the primary subsource for the totally discredited steel dossier. And Danchenko is facing trial starting October 11th, if memory serves. John Durham being the prosecutor. This is a trial as part of the John Durham investigation. But there's some brand new stuff here as well. And the brand new stuff is pretty explosive. In a bombshell revelation, special prosecutor John Durham revealed Tuesday in court filings that the FBI paid a Russian businessman as a confidential human source in the investigation of Donald Trump's 2016 campaign, even though it had prior concerns that the businessman was tied to Moscow's intelligence services. Durham persuaded the federal judge in the upcoming trial of Igor Danchenko to unseal a motion revealing that Danchenko, the primary source of the now discredited Steele dossier, was paid by the FBI as a confidential human source for more than three years until the fall of 2020, when he was terminated for lying to agents. So after his taking part in the creation of the Steele dossier, which people knew about that was publicly known. The FBI continued to pay him for three more years and then finally severed their ties with him, claiming that he had lied to agents. Danchenko is charged with five counts of lying to the bureau during that relationship and faces trial next month in federal court in the Virginia suburbs of Washington, D.C. 
In March 2017, the FBI signed the defendant up as a paid confidential human source of the FBI. Durham's unsealed court filing disclosed for the first time. The FBI terminated its source relationship with the defendant in October 2020. As alleged in further detail below, the defendant lied to FBI agents during several of these interviews. The revelation means that the FBI first fired former MI6 agent Christopher Steele, the author of the Hillary Clinton funded dossier, as a human source in November 2016 for having unauthorized contacts with the news media. You see, it wasn't the FBI that participated in any of that. They were actually stopping Christopher Steele and Hillary Clinton's organization from leaking to the media. And then it turned around a few months later and hired Steele's primary informer to work with the Bureau, even after determining some of Danchenko's statements in the Steele dossier were uncorroborated or exaggerated. Even more stunning, Durham confirmed that the FBI had concerns about Danchenko's ties to Russian intelligence a decade earlier, opening up a counterintelligence probe on him after learning he was trying to buy classified information from the Obama administration. And that part has been publicly known for a long time as well. As has been publicly reported, the defendant was the subject of an FBI counterintelligence investigation from 2009 to 2011, Durham wrote. In late 2008, while the defendant was employed by a prominent think tank in Washington, D.C., the defendant engaged two fellow employees about whether one of the employees might be willing or able in the future to provide classified information in exchange for money. According to one employee, the defendant believed that he, employee number one, might be in a position to enter the incoming Obama administration and have access to classified information. During this exchange, the defendant informed employee one that he had access to people who would be willing to pay money in exchange for classified information. Employee one passed this information to a U.S. government contact and the information was subsequently passed to the FBI. Based on this information, the FBI initiated a preliminary investigation into the defendant. The FBI converted its investigation into a full investigation after learning that the defendant had been identified as an associate of two FBI counterintelligence subjects and had previous contact with the Russian embassy and known Russian intelligence officers. The FBI closed that counterintelligence probe in 2010, but only after it, quote, incorrectly believed that the defendant had left the country, Durham told the court. Before the FBI hired Danchenko as a confidential human source, it detected more troubling behavior, prosecutors told the court. During his January 2017 interview with the FBI, the defendant initially denied having any contact with Russian intelligence or security services, but later, as noted by the agents, contradicted himself and stated that he had contact with two individuals who he believed to be connected to those services, Durham wrote. The filing asked the court for permission to use evidence at trial of other lies that Danchenko allegedly told the FBI that are not charged as part of his indictment. The prosecutor argued the new evidence would show a pattern and how Danchenko's deception led to false narratives in the Steele dossier and the news media, including the salacious and untrue allegation that Trump had consorted with prostitutes in Moscow. 
Durham plans to show the jury evidence that Danchenko made, quote, uncharged false statements to the FBI regarding his purported receipt of information reflecting Donald Trump's alleged salacious sexual activity at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Moscow, the filing said. Prosecutors will provide evidence that Danchenko never received such information and plan to introduce testimony that members of the Moscow hotel staff never made any claims about Trump's behavior, such as those the Steele dossier attributed to them. The government has interviewed and expects to call at trial the then general manager of the Ritz-Carlton Moscow, Bernd Kulin, according to the filing a German citizen who does not speak Russian and whom the Steele reports describe as Source E, a senior Western member of staff at the hotel. Mr. Kulin does not recall ever speaking or meeting with the defendant in June 2016 or at any time. Mr. Kulin has also denied, one, having knowledge of the Ritz-Carlton allegations at any time prior to their being reported in the media, and two, discussing such allegations with or hearing them from the defendant. So Igor Danchenko is known to be the primary subsource for Christopher Steele and the Steele dossier, a political hit job that was completely made up. You will remember the PP tape, the story about Donald Trump hiring hookers to urinate on him in the bed that Barack Obama slept in. Oh, it was such a scandal. But everyone involved knew at the time that Igor Danchenko had been investigated as some sort of Russian asset way back in 2009. Knowing all of this, they still went forward and pushed the Steele dossier and used it as the basis to convince the FISA court that they should approve FISA warrants on members of Donald Trump's campaign. Then after that, after that, the FBI hired Igor Danchenko as a confidential human source and kept him on payroll for three years. This is a comment from the great Technofog, who is an attorney who studies all of this and knows the Durham issues to a T. He said today's revelation about Igor Danchenko being a paid confidential human source for the FBI from March 2017 through October 2020 is explosive. Why make Danchenko a confidential human source? Self-preservation. It keeps secret the extent of the FBI and special counsel Mueller's dealings with Danchenko. Think sources and methods. How to hide FBI Mueller misconduct. Bury the witness. And what he's saying here is that the FBI's hiring of Danchenko and them putting him on as a confidential human source made it so they could say that they had to cover their sources and methods and couldn't allow anything Danchenko related to see the light of day. So now not only is the Danchenko issue about his role in the totally discredited and fake Steele dossier. Now it's about political corruption within the FBI. And in response to this revelation, the New York Times responded this morning with an article and the headline Durham inquiry appears to wind down as grand jury expires. 
When John Durham was assigned by the Justice Department in 2019 to examine the origins of the investigation into the 2016 Trump campaign's ties to Russia, President Donald J. Trump and his supporters expressed a belief that the inquiry would prove that a deep state conspiracy, including top Obama era officials, had worked to sabotage him. And of course, that is exactly what it proves. Now, Mr. Durham appears to be winding down his three year inquiry without anything close to the results Mr. Trump was seeking. The grand jury that Mr. Durham has recently used to hear evidence has expired. And while he could convene another, there are currently no plans to do so. Three people familiar with the matter said, oh, three people familiar with the matter. John Durham's investigation has yielded a grand total of zero leaks the entire time. But three people familiar with the matter know that John Durham is winding everything down. He's closing up shop and going home, according to three anonymous individuals. But you just have to trust the credibility of the New York Times because they're the paper of record and they're never, ever, ever wrong. Mr. Durham and his team are working to complete a final report by the end of the year, they said. And one of the lead prosecutors on his team is leaving for a job with a prominent law firm. Oh, the three people familiar with the matter seem to really have their finger on the pulse. Over the course of his inquiry, Mr. Durham has developed cases against two people accused of lying to the FBI in relation to outside efforts to investigate purported Trump-Russia ties, but he has not charged any conspiracy or put any high-level officials on trial. The recent developments suggest that the chances of any more indictments are remote. And they go on and on and on. There's nothing to see here. Kevin Kleinsmith got a slap on the wrist for falsifying an email and Michael Sussman was acquitted. Therefore, the whole thing is a failure and none of the information in his filings even suggests a conspiracy, except that all of it does. And that's how he lays it out. Now, I haven't talked too much about the Twitter whistleblower who goes by the the name in the online community as Mudge, because when whistleblowers go immediately to mainstream media, the first assumption should be this is a limited hangout. They are trying to cover up much deeper problems by letting the public hear about some of the problems they think they can explain successfully or avoid any real problems about. And the whistleblowers often go on to make a bunch of claims that were already publicly known and well-documented by people who pay attention to this stuff. Now, I know that does not include the general public. And so in a narrative sense, events like the testimony from this whistleblower can be effective in some way in getting the public to understand what the tech companies are actually doing. But they always avoid anything that is truly damning and that's kind of the point of the entire process. Regardless, there are some things that do add on to the public's understanding of what was going on at Twitter. And this is from Breitbart today. Four key revelations from Twitter whistleblowers Senate testimony. Peter Mudge Zatko, 
The Twitter whistleblower who previously served as the company's head of security testified before the Senate yesterday. Here are four key takeaways from his testimony. Breitbart News previously reported that Zatko filed an explosive whistleblower complaint against Twitter in July. Zatko was a prolific hacker who was hired as Twitter's security head before being fired in January by new CEO Parag Agrawal. In his whistleblower complaint, Zatko alleged that Twitter failed to protect user data, refused to address warnings when raised with executives, and lied about its security issues. Zatko recently testified before the Senate about Twitter's issues. Here are four key takeaways. Number one, Zatko claims 4,000 Twitter employees have access to users' personal info. Senator Josh Hawley questioned Zatko on the access that Twitter employees have to user data, asking, I just want to make sure I got this straight. You've stated today and in your report that about 4,000 Twitter employees are classified as engineers. Is that right? Zatko confirmed that around half of Twitter's 7,000 employees at the time were classified as engineers, to which Hawley responded, got it. And that means that these 4,000-ish employees would have had access to live user data all over Twitter. They could access individual users' personal information, including their live data. Have I got that right? Zacco responded, yes, sir. They would have access to the production environment. If they spent the time to meander around and look around, they would find they could access these large flows of data. Holly asked, including geolocation data? Did you testify to that earlier today? Zatko said, I know that Twitter has IP locations and that they do use geolocation services based upon IP address. Hawley remarked, wow, 4,000 employees with access to that data. That's extraordinary. So those employees would be in a position that if they wanted to, to get this information and dox Twitter users. Is that fair to say? Zatko responded, that is a concern of mine, sir. Yes. So Twitter has the same sort of geolocation data based on where your mobile phone is that we've heard about extensively through True the Votes work and the 2000 Mules documentary. That sort of geolocation data that was fact-checked and debunked by mainstream news outlets. But apparently it's real again. Number two, Indian government agents may be working at Twitter. Senator Dianne Feinstein asked Zatko, so can you describe the types of efforts you've seen by foreign governments to infiltrate, control, exploit, or surveil Twitter and its users and share what steps Twitter and regulators should have taken to protect against these attacks? To which Zatko responded, yes, ma'am, thank you. One of the disturbing things that I saw based upon being 10 years behind where I would expect a modern tech company to be was a lack of an ability to internally look for and identify inappropriate access within their own systems. And isn't that convenient? The problem is that the technology wasn't up to date. They weren't using up to date technology, even though they are one of the preeminent social media tech companies in the world. And they have members of federal law enforcement and members of the Intel community or former members, I should say on their payroll in their company. But I guess everyone just missed this massive security vulnerability. 
He added, other than the person who I believed with high confidence to be a foreign agent placed in a position from India, it was only going to be from an outside agency or somebody alerting Twitter that somebody already existed, that they would find the person. What I did notice when we did know of a person inside acting on behalf of a foreign interest as an unregistered agent. Zacco stated that Twitter was unable to keep track of possible foreign agents, stating, they simply lacked the fundamental abilities to hunt for foreign intelligence agencies and expel them on their own. Once again, just a structural problem. It's not really their fault. They were doing the best they could, but mistakes were made. Number three, Twitter employees can access a user's phone number, address, and location at any time. Zatko revealed just how much information Twitter can collect on its users, and it appears to be much more than was previously understood. By them, I guess. Zacco told the story of a Twitter executive that was being harassed by a Twitter user and requested extra information on the potential harasser. Zacco stated, A user on Twitter was harassing some members of the executive team and some members of the board. And as an example, this person, the CTO, came to me and said, Mudge, you know, is this a real viable threat? Do I need to be worried? You know, who is this person? And it took me maybe 30 minutes to reach out to an employee and say, what do we know about this person? And then it only took that person maybe 10 minutes to get back to me and say, here's who they are. This is the address where they live. This is where they are physically at this moment. They're on their phone. We know their phone number. We also know all of the other accounts that they've tried to set up on the system and hide. And we know who they are on other social media platforms as well. So a Twitter executive didn't like the comments he was receiving from a Twitter user. And to rectify this problem, they gathered all of this person's personal data, including where they were at that exact moment and whether or not they were on their phone. Number four, Twitter employees can tweet from any Twitter account. How about that? When asked about his previous statements that Twitter engineers could tweet as anybody, Zatko stated, that meant a Twitter engineer understanding how the running systems and the data flows were operating could then access and inject or put forward information. As I mentioned in my oral statement, as any of the senators sitting here today, Senator Hawley asked Zatko if he had ever seen this happen in practice, to which he responded, no, not directly. He was asked if he had any reason to believe it has ever happened, to which he responded, the number of cases that were reported to me by individual engineers saying, hey, we found this. I'm going to try and have somebody fix it where that was the exact problem. And we wouldn't know if it had happened in the past. Yes, I am concerned. So Twitter engineers could commandeer the accounts of anyone on the platform. And that includes the politicians and people who own businesses, people whose public statements on Twitter could actually affect important things in the real world. And who knows if this happened, but I do remember a whole lot of cancel culture being about people's old tweets or instances where people would say, hey, my Twitter has been hacked and I didn't post that. And of course, that is a convenient excuse to avoid being canceled. And it was certainly used as that plenty of times. 
But at the same time, there really were people that could have been making those posts. And we just don't know at this point. And we'll see what the future brings. But either way, the idea that Twitter engineers can do this on anyone's account is absolutely crazy. There was another Senate hearing today with big tech executives, not much this time. But check this out from Josh Hawley. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, you were an engineer at, at Twitter, is that right? Correct, yeah. You were the senior vice president for engineering? Yes. So yesterday, Mr. Zatko testified to another committee I sit on that 4,000 engineers at Twitter had access to all of the personal information, user data, geolocations of Twitter users. Is that accurate? So he, I've never met him, and he joined the company after I left. So I don't know if that particular claim is accurate. But he said all the engineers, you were an engineer. Did you have access um, to user data? When I was there, there uh, I don't know if it was all the engineers. Um, Did you have access to user data? Well, I was the head of engineering for the whole company. Did you have access to user data? I'm looking for a yes or a no. Uh, just remind you. I, no. You didn't but have I, access I to user I data? I think I could have gotten it. I'm sorry? I think I could have gotten it. Oh, okay. Well, if you can get it, that, that's what we call access. So you did have access to user data. Is that a yes? Here, I probably could have, yeah. I'm, I'm that's probably right. Yeah, I probably could Okay, you did. Did, did you ever access any, any user data? No. Were you aware of Twitter engineers ever doxing uh, members of uh, users? Uh, no. Were you aware of Twitter engineers ever inserting, ever taking over an account and, and tweeting out or altering the content of that account? Mr. Zaxo said he thought that had happened. I w I'm not aware of that. Um, lots to unpack there. Thank you. So things are heating up for Twitter and the tech companies on the way to their eventual and inevitable downfall. And just this week, it was announced that Twitter shareholders have voted to approve of Elon Musk's $44 billion buyout of Twitter. This is from Forecast 432. Twitter Incorporated shareholders approved billionaire Elon Musk's proposed $44 billion buyout, paving the way for a trial next month to determine the disputed deal's fate. A majority of Twitter shareholders voted in favor of accepting Musk's $54.20 per share offer to acquire the social networking company, a bid he made in April and has since sought to rescind. Twitter's board, along with two prominent advisory firms, had encouraged investors to ratify the deal. The company's shares are trading at $41.70, well below Musk's proposed price. So that would be an excellent deal for them. Let's see if they can still get Elon Musk to pay that price. Seems highly doubtful, particularly when they continue to refuse to disclose critical factors about the company, namely, how many of their user accounts are actually just bots. And I know people have a tendency to see these hearings and see the Durham revelations, not as signs that things are happening and are on the road to getting better, that the public is learning about what really has happened, even slowly. But as proof that nothing's happening and nothing's getting done because there's this massive event that everyone gets really excited about or outraged about or whatever, and then nothing happens. Why aren't these people being put in jail? Rand Paul just had another confrontation with Anthony Fauci in a Senate hearing today. Why isn't Fauci being put in jail? Well, we're not there yet. 
That's why these things do take time. And again, the point is that massive public awakening on all levels, touching all the issues, understanding how much corruption and dishonesty people have dealt with over the last few years, but really last few decades for our entire lives for many of us. These things don't immediately get reported and then the person just teleports to prison. That's not how it works, particularly not when the corruption has infiltrated our system so pervasively and deeply. And because these people are blackpilled and determined to believe that nothing is happening and that the global communists who prove themselves incompetent each and every day somehow have all this massive power and they're really going to take over the world. They see all of these events and revelations not as part of a continued pattern of progress, but as distinct events that each and every one has basically zero effect and therefore has basically zero cumulative effect. But that's fundamentally misguided and suggests a lack of attention to the details and why they matter in the bigger picture. The biggest picture of all is the awakening. The awakening is what is required to actually solve all of these problems once and for all. And they can all be solved once the people are awake and people's attention is put to all of these problems. We can see them getting better each and every day. We can see the narratives not only progressing, but converging on a timeline that is leading us right into a massive midterm election. How much longer are we going to pretend that there is no structure behind this? There is no planning. There is no expertise on our side capable of bringing these goals to fruition. If you watch with the right eyes, you can see it happening all the time. You don't separate out all these details and say none of them mean anything. Well, of course, if none of them mean anything and the giant force is just too big, then there's absolutely no chance at progress. But that just means you're confirming your premise that the evil force is just too big and progress is not possible. It's that fearful notion that causes the lack of faith and the lack of understanding that each and every one of these events are small pieces of progress toward that end goal. And they are. That is what's happening. That has happened continuously this entire time. We are not in the place that we were on January 21st, 2021. It's been 602 days that we have dealt with the fake president and the illegitimate regime. And over that time, millions and millions and millions of people have woken up to all of this. How can you be worried right now? We already had a massive majority on November 3rd, 2020, when Donald Trump actually won that election. And that majority has only grown and grown and gotten smarter and more aware and more attentive and more in tune. And look what they're doing on the other side. They're making Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger their heroes and turning to the pedophiles, racists, losers and morons in the Lincoln Project to disseminate their slogans. We're not losing. 
I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!